Coming up, being charitable makes you and I feel good, right? But we have jobs and kids and bills to pay. A lot of time we just don't get around to giving back to the community, right? So how to get started, how to avoid mistakes that waste money and time. We're talking about that next on The Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. The Supreme Court in Egypt has dissolved the disordered country's recently elected parliament. Egypt's high court declared the country's parliament illegal, forcing new elections. That's a blow to the Muslim Brotherhood and other Islamists, who swept to a huge majority in elections several months ago. It gives secular liberal groups a second chance. They led Egypt's popular uprising that deposed President Hosni Mubarak but failed in the election, getting about 10% of the seats. The court also gave the green light for Egypt's presidential election this weekend. Mark Levy, Cairo. One prominent Texas tycoon has been sentenced to over a century in prison for stealing billions from investors. R. Allen Stanford has been ordered to serve 110 years in prison. Prosecutors had asked for twice that amount for stealing more than $7 billion from investors. It has been described as one of the biggest Ponzi schemes in the nation's history. A jury convicted the 62-year-old Stanford on 13 of 14 fraud-related counts, capping a seven-week trial. And authorities are still working to recover millions of dollars worth of stolen funds in foreign bank accounts so it can be returned to investors. I'm Mark Hamrick. Ben Affleck is in Washington to raise awareness about the mortality rate of children in the Congo. Ben Affleck says nearly a half million children, five and under, will die in the Congo this year. It translates into two children every minute or so. So uh, while you've been talking here, two or three children have died. In an exclusive interview, Affleck told me these deaths are preventable. A lot of these kids are dying from, from diarrhea. It's just insane. This is like the Middle Ages. The problem hits home as Affleck's own three children are under the age of five. He founded a group to help the Congolese lower the death rate. Michael Weinfeld, Washington. A Center for Disease Control study shows that states with helmet laws for motorcyclists are saving lives and money. A CDC study shows helmet laws have a big effect on the number of crash-related deaths and injuries. Rebecca Nauman is the lead author. We found that in 2010, helmets saved 1,500 riders' lives. And states with helmet laws not only saved lives, but a lot of dollars, too. Three billion was saved due to helmets, but another $1.4 billion could have been saved if everyone had been wearing a helmet. Those savings were on costs such as medical and productivity losses, legal fees, and insurance administration. The CDC analyzed fatal crash data from 2008 to 2010. I'm David Melendi. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your life coach, doing what we can on this show every day of the week to help you and your loved ones strengthen their relationships, just basically grow healthy and happy lives. Try not to induce too much guilt. It's so easy as we go through life to just pick up a lot of baggage and never be able to discard it. This show is designed to give you the tools, the ideas, the solutions you need to really learn and to grow. I mean, I think we assume we're going to be learning just because we think learning is inherently 
uh, just the way we work, right? We just learn. We learn how to be a better person. We learn how to be a better friend, how to forgive, how to get over things. And you know what I'm finding? Um, we just don't learn necessarily. It's sometimes it takes an, a concerted effort. So part of the key to this show is we want to bring you ideas and tools where you can, on a daily basis, listen in and get a little motivation, uh, be able to laugh at yourself a little bit, and also um, listen to some of the, the greatest experts on on certain topics. And today we've got a, another great attempt to do that. And again, I don't want to induce guilt for you because today we're going to be talking about charity. And quite honestly, I sometimes wonder if it is really the best policy. <laughs> is charity the best policy? Is that our goal? I and mean, we know honesty is, right? But charity's starting to really frustrate me a little bit. Because um, everywhere you go, there's a charity, right? The Japanese Tsunami Relief, the NBA have charities, NFL has charities. All of these different organizations are there to help. And um, I'm sitting here at times wondering, you know, okay, I'm really being impacted by this economy. My kids still need things. I feel like I'm the biggest charity case I know. And that just makes me feel guilty because I know I, I shouldn't feel that way. And then I go buy a bunch of groceries or something at the store, throw down a lot of money, and they look at me and they say, would you like to do- donate a dollar to charity? And I look at them and I'm like, are you kidding me? I just paid you $400. You donate the money to charity. And um, I start to get a little mad about it. And I'm realizing, you know what? That's probably not the spirit. That is not the spirit of charity. So we're, we brought in an expert that um, is kind of a self-proclaimed charity addict because she's just caught the spirit of it. And she has, I, I think, the right motivation behind it. She has the right sense of how to make it work. And we're going to be talking to her to see if we can't pick her brain and figure out how do you give when you feel like you have very little left to give? How do I give any more when it feels like everybody is just taking, they're constantly taking? And I want to be a good example. I want to be a good role model for my family, right? When, when, you, when I pull up off of the, the interstate or the freeway and there's somebody with a sign standing there asking for help and some money, do you do it? And I don't know. This is where I struggle because you're like, I don't want them to go drink. And I don't want him to go be an addict or blah, blah, blah. You know what? I think our heart's got to do a lot of the talking there. And um, again, today we want to just learn. What are some ideas? What are the tools? What are the things that seem to really make it work? Because, you know, sometimes finding the time or money for charity can be difficult. It's hard. It's hard to make these things work. We're busy. We have a lot of stuff going on, but there's a little featurette by one of our producers here, Corinne Collins, talking about the little thing that she did for charity. So, I'm not the most charitable person in the world, but that's mostly because I'm a student that doesn't have much money to spare. But what I do have is time. So a couple of weeks ago, I decided to embark on a challenge in an effort to raise money for a cause I believed in and hopefully to become a more informed citizen of the world. I decided to live below the global poverty line for a week, which meant I spent less than $1.50 per day on food. Now, at the outset you might think, oh my goodness, she probably starved to death. But while I was more tired than usual, 
had some dizzy spells and my digestion had a definite adjustment period, which I think is still ongoing, I did manage to do it with relative ease. Surprisingly, my biggest roadblock was not eating enough to be full, but a variety of flavour. I'm a bit of a foodie. Well, as much as one can be on a student budget. And since I like to both eat out and cook, having to eat rice and beans every day became a bit of a struggle. It's not that I couldn't use spices, but they tend to be expensive. So besides garlic, salt and pepper, I was pretty stuck for flavour variety. But I'll tell you one thing, even though I crave spicy food, which incidentally led me to watch many, many episodes of Man Vs. Food, I did learn to be a bit more grateful for what I perceived as basics. 1.4 billion people worldwide spend less than $1.50 a day on food. And while I can never understand what it's truly like to have that as my daily existence, a week living under the global poverty line helped me to recognise how much I take for granted. And even though my digestion hasn't quite yet recovered from the experience, I think it's a fair price to pay to be a little more empathetic. Corinne Collins. Ah, wow. Great, great segment there. 1.4 billion people living on $1.50 a day. Like, seriously, just imagine how much could you get at McDonald's dollar menu for $1.50 a day? Ah. No wonder she wasn't feeling well because that is a huge deal. And I love her point. Maybe the charity, uh, maybe the charity that we really need to try to try to create is this charity of just getting to become more empathetic, as she said, or empathic, more of a feeler, more caring for just the plight of others. Maybe that's the real reason we need charities is just to have a softer heart. And um, maybe a more open uh, position where we where we are more accepting of people, less judgmental. I think it really just takes one major uh, catastrophe. Maybe it just takes a tsunami like ja- the the Japanese suffered to finally realize how much we really need from each other, and then all of a sudden charity means something to us. It doesn't always probably mean something to us when we're just in our own world having our great life. But maybe where it means something is when you've lost something. And so on today's show, we're going to be bringing in a a self-proclaimed charity addict, somebody that has found and literally absorbed and just totally eats up this concept of charity. We're going to pick her brain and figure out how do we get it into our lives? How do we do it in a way that maybe isn't about losing yourself? Corinne didn't have to do everything. She just actually had to just back down her eating to $1.50 a day. And it created this sense of empathy. She then would donate some money in behalf of her um, of her. Opportunity. We we've seen that too with um, a lot of different kinds of charities. There's so many different charities, like Locks of Love. You may have heard of where people just give their hair. They grow their hair out. They need about ten inches. You put it in a ponytail and you and you cut it off and you donate that to charity so that they can make wigs and um, hair pieces for people that have lost their hair. Now again, they are, they won't accept everything. You can't send in your dreadlocks. The dreadlocks are not allowed. But you know what? There's a million ways to give from hair to just saving some money um, by uh, not eating as much every day and giving that to charity. We're going to pick the pros brains on how to create a charity addiction inside of all of us. You're listening to the Matt Townsend show. Stay with us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU radio. Next time you build a house, you might want to insulate it with solid smoke. 
This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Aerogel, sometimes known as solid smoke, is the most lightweight solid material known to man. Over 90% air, it's also one of the world's best insulators. But for years, aerogels were too brittle and expensive for widespread use. When NASA wanted a super-efficient aerogel insulation system for the space shuttle program, they also needed it to be flexible and durable. A company named Aspen Systems Incorporated delivered. They developed a groundbreaking manufacturing process for aerogels that cuts down both time and cost. On top of that, researchers solved durability and handling problems that had limited the use of aerogel insulation for decades. A spin-off company, Aspen Aerogels, says their ultra-thin aerogel blankets can provide up to five times the performance of traditional building insulation materials. The insulation can be used on new construction or added to existing structures. These aerogel blankets are strong, flexible, thin, and waterproof. And now you can find liquid smoke used in everything from undersea pipelines to clothing. For Innovation Now, this is Crystal Browning. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. What song changed my life? There are a lot of songs that have changed my life. It's a totally brutal question to try and answer. Every musician has that one song that changed their life. Join Tony Award winner Leah Salonga, American Idol finalist Brooke White, and more of your favorite artists as they explore their lives before and after they heard that one song that changed everything. Watch The Song That Changed My Life, Monday nights at 7.30 on BYU-TV. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about charities. How do you gain the spirit of charity and maybe also do the work of charity? And how do you not feel over-guilted? How do you not feel like, oh, see, just another thing the world needs from me that, again, I can't deliver on because my life is so pathetic? You don't have to go there. Instead, we're going to be talking to a, a, a really a self-proclaimed charity addict, wonderful person, incredible spirit, Tiffany Berg. We're going to bring her on in a minute. But before we do, Tiffany Berg and a guy named Greg Adamson are co-founders of Heart to Home, which is a nonprofit group that does home makeovers for families in need. They were featured on Turning Point, a BYU TV program about making a difference in the world. Here's a clip from their show. Really, it's a crazy group of volunteers that use their particular skill sets to make life easier for families in need. My name is Tiffany Berg, and I'm the co-founder of Heart to Home. We're not very good at raising money. We've never been good as a foundation at going out and raising cash. Uh, What we're good at is going out and getting contractors to donate their time, getting suppliers to donate supplies and materials. You really realize that just some simple acts, a couple days of getting in and getting involved and doing some service, can change somebody's life forever. The way we work with Heart to Home is, is we'll identify needs, and then basically we send everybody out, and they go out and try to find people that will donate those things or help donate or fund them. And so it really is a neat thing of just a lot of different people going in 40, 50 different directions trying to figure out how to get this home built or this family put back in. All of us are volunteers. We share the stories of the families that we're working for, the things that they really need. Then we say, 
Would you be able to paint a bedroom? Would you furnish the bedding for this room? Would you donate a couch? Would you donate some concrete? And really, it's just a matter of kind of the stone soup, getting people to participate at whatever level they can. Is everybody who worked on that, are they in construction? Did they know what the heck they were doing? <laughs> no, not everybody's in construction, and, and I wouldn't even say everybody knows what they're doing, especially me. But yeah, it's an odd mix. Everybody's kind of got their own niche, their own thing that they do. That's part of what makes it good, is everybody's got different experiences and different ideas. The great thing about Heart to Home is that people can actually see the difference they're making. And I think that part is very contagious. To be honest, a lot of it is the neighbors that step up and, and say, hey, you know, it'd be nice to do this in our yard or to build a planter box or to decorate a room this way. And, and to me, that's what makes Heart to Home so great is it's not my idea, it's not Tiffany's idea or anybody else's. We always get nice little touches on the home that, that we never really planned on doing because people step up and want to make it better. So Tiffany Berg, Greg Adamson, co-founders of Heart to Home, and we have invited Tiffany Berg, I think probably the smarter, more beautifully talented, uh, wonderful part of that uh, duo with us today. Tiffany, thanks for joining the show. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Good topic. You're the best. And um, let me just let everyone know about you because you are – you have a pretty diverse background, which is probably setting up this charity thing I think pretty well. Let's tell everyone about you. Uh, you're a speaker and a great speaker, motivational speaker. Interesting little bit of you is you're, um, you're a widow by cancer. Husband died, Paul Berg, uh, and he left you and you had five kids at the time in 2009. So this is two – what is it that soon? Wow. Three years ago? Almost three. It seems so. Okay. Uh, you just are completing your chaplaincy. At, you're going to be a chaplain. Mm-hmm. You're already d- doing a ton of volunteer work and work there. Author of many books – co-founder of the Heart to Home that we just heard about, but you're a coach, you're a trainer, you were Mrs. Utah, 2007, ow, and now you're a grandma. Yes, I am. That's true. So of all of those things, though, a charity addict is what you're you're claiming to be. How? Do, okay, so that life, pretty diverse, you're all over, you're the kind of person that could literally do anything you want to do. That has now been proven. Um. Why charity? Well, in my home, we were raised doing charity. Um, My mother was a big advocate for that. Um, She would have us serving in the soup kitchens, wrapping the sandwiches, handing them to people, homeless people. Um, She would make up a big batch of popcorn and take us as teenagers down to the homeless shelter um, with all of our games what a in great tow. mom. And, and she would say, we're going so you can play board games with the other teenagers at the homeless shelter. They don't have friends. So we were always very resistant to yeah. that as kids. It was uncomfortable. Oh, it mom. smelled bad. Yeah. It, they were so different. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was very good to say, there is nothing that makes you different than these people. But by the grace of God, you're not here. Yeah. And so she was very good to to model that to us. And so when given the opportunity in 2004 um, to be part of a team uh, similar to the National Home Makeover Show, I thought it would be a lot of fun. So is that so you just you were just invited to be a part of the team? Yes. In fact, Greg and I didn't know each other prior to that. Uh, There was a general contractor that I had known and he also knew Greg. He contacted about five different people and said, 
would you like to do something like the national let's, show? Yeah, let's do it. Just, and you modeled it after the show. We did. But minus the show. Minus the money. <laughs> minus the money. And but you but what you do. So explain the whole system because you've changed a lot of lives. About six a year. Yeah. You're well and these are families or um centers. We've started to do centers, home makeovers on centers, the Now I Can Center. Okay. Um we did these are this is for children with disabilities, so that we're reaching more families. Yeah. Um, larger venues. And so you, you just go in, you find the need, and then you start, I guess, organizing the resources. And one thing that makes us different is we're all volunteers. Mm-hmm. There is no one that's paid on our staff. And so when we look at a project, we really look at, is it doable for our group? Yeah. Um, is it accessible? We haven't done anything that's super far away. We just don't have the ability to do that. Just keep it local. That. We keep it local, and and we look at the list of um, people on our contact base, our database, uh-huh. and say, okay, we've got a lot of plumbers, so doing a, a wheelchair-accessible bathroom like we just could did really in Riverton, we could do that. So, we've tell, got so give us some of your examples. Give us some of your favorites, the ones that you're like, okay, this made my day. Okay, the last because this is why you're addicted to it because it's oh. it's charity's charity, but you really can't get enough of this. I just think it, it's it's fabulous because it's doable. Yeah, and that's one thing I think you you struck a nerve. I think for a lot of people is that guilt. Uh, you know, I don't want guilt to drive uh, my life, and I don't think guilt drives us. I think we get so much reward Mm -hmm. for seeing what changes for people. Uh, For example, we just did um, last month a home makeover with the Riverton Police Department. They had actually raised a lot of the funds. Um, There was a 14-year-old girl, uh, Kendra Muller, who was at a pool party with her friends. All the friends sat on a hammock and the support beams broke. And she Everything collapsed on top of her, all the brick columns, and she's now a quadriplegic at 14. I remember the story. Yeah. And so the Riverton Police Department had raised a lot of funds to help her create this wheelchair-accessible needs in her home. Uh, But the bathroom was the biggest issue. And so they contacted— A girl needs her bathroom. Oh, heavens. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what age you are. The girl needs it. And so um, they had actually— gone to the junior high school mm-hmm. and asked the kids if they would help to fund this as well, to the point of even being tased. The police department and really? the principal were tased <laughs> once a certain amount of money was Holy, raised. Holy, what a so, great so, fundraiser. Exactly. I mean, that, now see, that's where charity's good. Okay. Because anyone exactly. would tase their principal. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and here you you have a need in a community. You have leadership in a community rallying, mm-hmm. and you have kids that are actually donating $5, lunch money, yeah. movie money. Right. And uh, they raised enough, and we were able to create this amazing bathroom for her. So it's really, um, it's really that stone soup concept where what can you do, and and let's do it so the needs are met. Well, and it's interesting. It so it almost sounds it doesn't matter even really what it is. I mean, because that was just one story. There's hundreds. There's thousands of people like that around the country. It's just a story. But then, but the bigger story is, you know, getting all of these people involved, 
getting everybody focused on one effort, on changing a life, and it creates the spirit, doesn't it? It does. Well, and in fact, you look at all the components that we bring into that. One of the fun components was on the reveal day, it was actually Officer Appreciation Week. So here we have all of these Riverton police officers there. Well, and a company called Beyond Glaze had made fresh out of the oven. They had made maple bacon donuts just for the police officers. So sometimes you (laughs) think... it comes around. Yeah, it comes around. That's karma. Sometimes you think, well, I don't have anything to offer, and yet you really do. If you're, yeah, you own a uh, bacon shop, you own a donut (laughs) shop, and you're like, what I can offer is what I can offer donuts. And the cops, it's interesting too, how healing for the cops, because all of these police officers show up on this scene where this beautiful 14-year-old is just crushed, and the, the community rallied, but they then on their own collect money. They just need someone to kind of operationalize the funds, and then you guys step in. And it, it's just – it really is. And it, it's almost like everyone's being called to do it, isn't it? It's not like – you can go out and ask, but a lot of people are just being drawn to this idea. Well, and that's where you know you talk about, okay, am I being guilted uh-huh. and pressured or driven by resentment? Yeah. Or am I being compelled? Yeah. Because invited, the yeah. empathy, uh, and it's a different driver. Yeah, totally. Well, so so part of that, and I guess we'll get into that a lot in the next segment, is how do you turn it from compelled guilt, I mean, not even compelled, uh, yeah, forced, coerced guilt, to actually feeling like, you know what, I'm being called. And maybe that's what a lot of the guilt is about, is that I'm feeling prompted to help, and everything about me says no. I'm not going to do that right now. So I want to, I want to get into that, and I want to know how – because you've had a lot of other – I mean your life is kind of perfect to focus on charity because <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you've probably had times where you've needed some, mm-hmm. and yet you're turning this into – you're turning it into your life. Your life is now helping people. Why? I mean what drives you? Because it's, it's not lucrative. No. And it's it's time consuming. It takes your time, and you're not you're not making any money. You're not taking any fees to organize all these things. You're just out giving. What keeps driving the giver? I think a couple of things. Um, number one, I do want my children to learn this. Yeah, I want this to be important to them. And talk about your kids on the set. I mean, like on the not the set. That's on the. Day of the working and working and putting these houses together. Because it's a pretty neat idea that you've got. Well, they know that they're going to get wrangled into it. And they always get the worst jobs. <laughs> yeah, do they? <laughs> they do. Because they're your daughter. Yeah they're, yeah. they're my kids and they and they tend to get the, you know, the jobs that other people don't want yeah. to do. And, and I think that they're seeing the value. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, I did watch my husband, Paul, passed away very young. Yeah. And as I look at that, I realize at the end of the day, what you created through ego and title and prestige, none of that matters. Mm -hmm. It's, are you right with yourself? And when I do these projects, the empathy, that makes me right with myself. See, isn't it interesting? So you're healing Mm -hmm. and your family's healing. And it's interesting. So it's almost all in a way like you're on the fixing this house, healing, getting – I mean and interestingly, Paul's probably there and others are there that um, are are catching the fire of healthy caring. It's just healthy – really all empathy or charity is is active caring. 
Right. It's carrying present tense. Right. And I think where that resentment comes in is when you're getting mixed up between mm-hmm. ego and empathy. I agree. And so when we're at the store and someone says, do you want to give a dollar and get a yeah. shamrock with your name right. on it? Maybe an ego thing, but there's yeah. no empathy there. Yeah, right. I'm not think, feeling what it's going to. It's just another organization that wants my money. Right. And so, and yet when we're engaged in something where we see someone's life is mm-hmm. very different and yeah. so much better yeah. because of us, it makes a difference for us. See, Oh, that's huge. So we're going to, we want to, I want to talk about that because really when we come back, I, we got to figure out how do we connect into the empathy and, and continue this conversation about how do we eliminate the guilt, which I think the guilt just is eliminated once you're aligned to your essence, to the empathy of it, the spirit of it. Um, and I also want to get your ideas on, you know, what else can we do? What are the simple things we can do? We don't all have to go start a charity, right? We all don't even have to go just participate in charities. There's a million things we can be doing. So I want to pick your brain on that. Awesome. You're awesome. Okay. We're talking to Tiffany Berg. Um, Again, just, you know, self-proclaimed addict of charity, which would sound bad. But you know what? It's charity, for heaven's sakes. We will be back with more Tiffany and more ideas on how to get that spirit of charity into your life right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Connect with Matt on BYU Radio's Facebook page and Twitter at BYU Radio. Hey, Billy, want to go to the State Fair? Yeah! Well, you can't. Huh? Well, you see, Billy, when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have done with it. But now your parents are becoming energy efficient. They could save hundreds of dollars a year and take you to the fair next year. I want to go now. I know you do. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. The Kennedy Center's Global Awareness Lecture invites international diplomats, scholars, and talented individuals to speak on issues affecting the global community. The big problem is not Russia and the United States. What worries me is some of these rogue countries with their crazy dictators. Increase your global awareness, enjoy the insights of extraordinary speakers, and keep up with the world around you by tuning in to Notes from the Kennedy Center, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. President Barack Obama is admitting that he made a mistake last week when he said the private sector is doing fine. When the president told a news conference the private sector is doing fine, he was comparing it to the private sector, but Mitt Romney gasped. Fine? How out of touch? Well, after a week of defending and explaining, Obama now admits he committed a gaffe. Won the first time, it won't be the last. At a speech in Cleveland, he said, of course people are struggling and no part of the economy's where it needs to be. But in the long tradition of political slip-ups, he says he was just making his unique contribution. Mark Smith at the White House. June is Gay Pride Month, and the Pentagon is going to honor the gay men and women who serve in the armed forces. 
Before this year, gay troops dared not admit it. This month, they'll be celebrated. The law banning openly gay service ended in September, and the Defense Department tells the Associated Press it's planning to mark Gay Pride Month just as it recognizes other celebrations honoring racial or ethnic groups. Officials won't say what the event will be, but they do note Defense Secretary Leon Panetta feels it's important to find some way of recognizing the service of gay troops. Sagar Megani, Washington. Police in Buffalo are searching for an award-winning surgeon who they believe is connected to the death of a co-worker. Receptionist Jacqueline Wisniewski was gunned down in a stairwell at the Erie County Medical Center where she and Dr. Timothy Jordan worked. Perry Smith was one of Dr. Jordan's neighbors. Friendliest guy you can imagine. But some said Dr. Jordan had been acting strangely. Neighbor Tom Rozick told WIVB-TV. Just noticed that the bushes weren't caught and kind of things were kind of neglected and I, had, I and I thought maybe perhaps he was sick. The doctor and Wisniewski were romantically involved according to a friend of hers who said Wisniewski feared Dr. Jordan and once told her if anything ever happened to her he'd be responsible. I'm Rita Foley. Tour de France legend Lance Armstrong is struggling to dismiss claims that he was using performance-enhancing drugs during his cycling career. The reason doping allegations continue to pursue Lance Armstrong years after he passed drug tests, says Charles Pelkey, is that the tests don't prove a cyclist didn't use banned substances. Once you uh, fail a doping test, that's not the violation. The violation is taking the dope in the first place. That's what they're trying to prove. Pelkey, a longtime cycling journalist, says much of the evidence cited by the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, largely the testimony of other riders, has, in his words, been out there a long time. Federal prosecutors recently closed a criminal investigation of Armstrong without bringing charges. Armstrong says he's innocent. Warren Levinson, New York. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Matt Townsend, and uh, we have brought a charity addict, full-blown, just so strung out on love and charity, that uh, we, uh, we're we picking her brain. Her name's Tiffany Berg. She's co-founder of Heart to Home, which is just a great charity. And again, it, the charity doesn't, it's not the point of the um, program is to pick a charity. Your point is just to become charitable. Exactly. And so to help us out, because again, guilt's not the goal, but, you know, I just think we've gotten really good. I mean, a lot of, a lot of charities are led by religious organizations and a lot of religious organizations are really good at at inducing guilt. So like, if you want to go to heaven, do charity. (laughs) Um, So I think so much of the time, that's how we try to motivate. Or we show videos of the poor third world country people that aren't eating. And it, it pulls at our heartstrings. And, I, and maybe that's what creates this prompting and gets people separated from the world and start noticing that people need help. How do we do it if we, if we want to invite people and get people excited about giving and, and giving themselves and being charitable? How do we do it if we're not inducing guilt? What's, what's a better motivator? Well, I think guilt taps into our ego and offends us. Mm-hmm. You know, we feel that resentment and we feel offended. And so we're responding to defend ourselves. Yes, yeah, exactly. So we're serving Fine, let's to go. defend ourselves. It's a hurry. I got to get this yeah, over. Yeah, it's not out of empathy. Right. And so I, I think sometimes that word charity 
is conjures up the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, charity meaning less than. Um, the leftovers yeah where empathy is really putting yourself in someone else's shoes yeah and and it doesn't have to be in a third world country it could be right around the corner just seeing a need and i think sometimes we make it um too difficult um yet when we're finding something organic in Mm -hmm. our lives to help with we feel whole. What What are some of the more organic ways, just the around the corner ways that we could just get involved? Well, often in a neighborhood, there is one or two homes that is um, less taken care of. Uh-huh. There's usually a reason. Right. There's usually um, a help. It's because they're lazy. Help. Well, sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> That's what people do. They're just lazy bums. Sometimes there is... Um, there's something else going on. Yeah. If there's hoarding, maybe there's a chemical imbalance, maybe a bipolar issue. Um, maybe there's a terminal illness. Um, find out. Yeah. Find out. Um, that would be the empathetic thing to do as opposed to rushing to judgment. And and just helping regardless. Exactly. Just, exactly. There's and, a need. You know, and if someone's having a hard time and you're right there and you have skills, that can be a great way to give. Um, often people think of this, the big, the big things. I need to be a foster parent of six children from right. Ethiopia. Yeah. Well, not everybody can do that right. <laughs> yeah. or should. That's right. So, you know, maybe if you're feeling inclined in that direction, maybe a first step would be offering respite care for two hours a week yeah. at a, at a family center. Um, or maybe, you know, in hospice care, we have people that will give an hour a week and they'll read scriptures to someone in an elderly care center. It doesn't have to be something huge right. that, that is so difficult. And it can be in the neighborhood. There's the deal is the needs are there. So you can kind of go formal where you just call a hospice center that can then guide you to where they need help. Or you can go a little informal to just the neighbor next door whose yard needs some mowing or some help. Exactly. It's there. But then open up your heart and let and follow the prompting. And I think that's one thing that we I, – I love right now a lot of companies are getting outside the box. Yeah. We've got Tom's Shoes that you buy a pair and a pair is donated. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another thing called – I think it's Hope Water. And for every water bottle that's purchased, there's one that's given. And so I think we're really thinking outside the box and using capitalism in a way that can promote yeah. goodness. Um, and really just thinking that way. Yeah. What's a better – thing for me to do with my time or my money um, as opposed to maybe getting a shamrock on the wall at right. Albertsons well, in fact, you with your see dollar. That. You see that, I guess, because you, you need donations. You need donations to put these things together. You also have companies that when you call up and say, great, we're finishing a bathroom, you have companies that will just send employees to get stuff done in these programs. So th- these, I guess, are charitable leaders carrying on their legacy, and it's it's convincing Maybe it's creating a charitable company. Well, and if we look at, you know, in the motivational speaking industry, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, companies would send all of their employees to see some great guru get up on the stage and pump them up and hype them up. And they would go back to the office and a week later, nothing would be different. (laughs) Well, now we see that great leaders are looking at ways to really change their employees, mm-hmm. change them on a heart level. Yeah. Um, we've worked with Vivint or Apex Alarm. We've worked with Kohl's, 
companies that have these programs that say, okay, if our employees come to us with a charitable cause that they have fallen in love with, right? Um, if we can rally around that and have our employees out on these um, projects in our company shirt, yeah, and we're giving money to the charity that they feel passionate about in our neighborhood, um, we're going to see change. Yeah. We're going to see loyalty. Exactly. And that's exactly what's happening. It's. In, I just did a speech for an organization that does um, like genealogy software, basically. So it's kind of like where you can go find out about your grandparents and great-grandparents and all these people. Well, they, right at, before I spoke, they about 300 of them spent uh, half a day cleaning tombstones, gravestones, and grave sites, and just cleaning up a cemetery. And archiving all the pictures, and our, and you wouldn't believe the spirit, just the proud spirit that these people had, because they had. And by the way, to what? To to tombstones, to gravestones, to it was the neatest thing. They, by the way, that's what they do. That's what their software is about. And yet they felt honored because they went and exerted energy, and they they left it on the field, so to speak. They left their love in the cemetery, and it converted them. It changed them. I think that's where we um, have the disconnect is when we feel guilty or we're being guilted into something mm-hmm. and there's not that transformational moment, yeah. that that love moment. Yeah. You know, we talk about three things that yeah. are involved with that. And, and in any love moment, there's safety, there's growth, there's fun. Um, if an employer can really see that and harness that and, enable people to have that right. experience, um, they will be more present at their jobs. That's what your mom did for you. Exactly. She took you to these places, and while you were there, you felt some safety, fun, and you, and, and you sensed the growth, and exactly. it changes you. Exactly. And I think, you know, these police officers that helped with Kendra's house, you know, they're parents. Yeah. So watching this 14-year-old girl now have a bathroom where she could have privacy, mm-hmm. she has mobility, she has safety, yeah. um, you know, they were in tears. Yeah. So it's really, you know, what can you do that is already organic in your life that you could help with that would have that kind of transformational yeah. um, piece to it uh-huh. as opposed to just giving your dollars? I mean, it's interesting. Isn't that interesting? Because... Otherwise, you're. I mean, giving dollars. That's great. We need money. Everyone needs money. And but the benefit is in it, it ends up converting you. It ends up because that's the neat thing about this is you go thinking like I was thinking. I don't have any more money to give. Okay, I don't have any more money to give. Yet, I have energy to give. And the neat thing about it is when I gave my charity. If I go give charity and serve, I, I only get more charity. So charity begets charity. And really, it's it's giving of yourself. The funny thing for me is the money that is the least important thing for me to give. And if I would just give what's most important to me, which would maybe be my time, I'd probably care 10 times more. Well, and what would it be like for you as a parent to see your kids converted to oh, charity? Yeah. Huge. To no, become – as adults, to become charity addicts. Like all of a sudden you see your kids seeing somebody, an, an elderly person needing help. And instead of watching or laughing or critiquing, they jump up and run over. And yeah, by the way, and they would learn that going to read at an elder care facility and spending time with people. No, it's 
that's all that would matter, really, right? Yeah, and I think there's part of um, giving in a, in a charity um, setting that breaks down the walls of being afraid. Um, having worked with so many people in wheelchairs now, you know, I'm comfortable yeah. around wheelchairs. Yeah. I'm comfortable around people with did Alzheimer's. You, did you have that before, Paul, before you, you your husband got cancer? I think I did. I think his brother was in a wheelchair, Artberg. Right. And so I think I really learned that yeah. from him. But definitely now being able to see what accessibilities do they need and really understanding how rough life is if they don't have those. Right. How fascinating, though. That's just so. Then all of a sudden, you're and you're comfortable with people in all different walks of life, and that helps you be able to create closeness, intimacy with anyone. What happens when all of a sudden you're comfortable with the um, the poor, impoverished, homeless person, and you're actually comfortable looking them in the eye and talking to them? I mean, where are, what boundaries do you have with other humans when you're safe and comfortable with the elderly that's dying or the person with Alzheimer's? You can go anywhere. In chaplaincy, I learned a Native American phrase, and that is, we are all related. And in that uh, faith tradition, obviously, that includes nature and animals. And right. But, you know, when you look at another person and you feel a disconnect um, or the walls going up or mm-hmm. judgment, um, it really speaks to you and where you're at. Yeah. And so if you can use charity um, and service as a way to unlearn that yeah, yeah, and to, to take yeah, down the to, walls. Yeah, find a new way around that wall. Yeah, yeah. it's powerful. powerful. That is cool. Does um, What do we need to watch out for? Or like where do we begin? If you think about it, where do you begin? To get the spirit of charity and, you know, if we want to drive ourselves to be an addict of charity, where do we begin? Well, I think I think really turning it around from where it's been in the recent years, I think, you know, when you hear charity, there's a charity dinner, there's a charity auction, there's yeah. a charity. And, and I would really want people to think outside of that term, um, service. Yeah. How can I serve? What gifts and skills do I have? that are unique to me that would allow me to serve someone else. Because I think, it, you know, in the past where we've talked about, you know, here's a silent auction, it's for charity. Um, that's kind of a cheap thing. Yeah. We don't, it doesn't that's, require yeah. us to be better people. That's charity light. Yes. <laughs> that's easy charity. But the hard charity is giving where you are going in and your heart is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of just right there, eye to eye with another soul. Yeah. In their pain. Yeah. And companioning them in mm-hmm. some way. And I think, you know, we buy a gift basket at a charity event. We don't feel any different the next day. Yeah. When we really serve another human being, we feel different. Yeah. Maybe that's it. It's the accounting. Where are you, where are you doing the toll? Or where are you taking the toll? In your heart or um, in your heart, in your soul? Or are you taking the toll, you know? The tally mark, yeah, that we made two hundred dollars on that one. I mean, I've I've done it. I bought something at a charity and then went and used the card. We just went the other day to dinner with somebody that got the card at charity, and when they were paying for their meal with their card that they bought at charity for four times its actual value, it didn't work. <laughs> and they're like, "That charity ripped me off." <laughs> so now all of a sudden, we're mad at a charity. That is, I guess, your accounting is, "Hey, I deserve a card," but versus, you know what? It felt great. And that's where I think we 
can really, that's the litmus test. Yeah. Did we do that for ego? Because someone saw us Mm -hmm. at that auction buy that big ticket item. Or did I feel compelled or guilted? Mm -hmm. That's our ego. Um, And sometimes even going to a third world country is ego. Totally. However, um, if it's coming from empathy, it's a different feeling. And it's permanent. Mm -hmm. And it's forever. It's memorable. uh Uh-huh. You'll never forget that one. And the accounting's made, and I, I to me, it's made with your maker. You and you feel you feel empathy for another. You are closer to your God. Absolutely. That's it. Absolutely. See how easy. I'm almost an addict. See, you're. Oh, I just have to go your, do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm running out of money. I don't know that I could be addicted to anything else. But that's one thing too is, I, for so long in the last few years, we've been. You know, it's all about. Giving money. It's, uh, that's what and charity And really, like. I think that's a, a distraction that's right. yeah. for us right now. Um, it's not about money. Mm-mm. It's not. Most of the people that work with Heart to Home, they're not giving money. They are laying sod or they are hooking yeah. up a pipe under a sink yeah. or they are but Tiffany, see, all that cleaning windows. Hard. It does require some But that's what tenacity. creates the conversion, right? <laughs> That's right. You're the best. Tiffany Berg. Now, Tiffany, where can they find more information out about you, about, you know, your organization, Heart to Home? What do you, where can they find you? They can go to hearttohomefoundation.org, and that's the number two. But really, if that's not a good fit, if you have skills in other areas, if you're a dancer, mm-hmm. find some volunteer work that taps into those skills. And get out. It does, yeah. Just... Do charity, not the, necessarily the money charity, even though that's helpful, but do the charity that changes your heart. Absolutely. You are the best. Tiffany Berg, I'm telling you, you wouldn't believe she's a grandma and a motivational speaker, incredible woman. We will have Tiffany back on the show. She's got great insight too, just about, I think, life and her life story is amazing. So check her out at tiffanyberg.com as well, right? Thank you again, Tiffany. Appreciate you. Stick with us, folks. We're going to come back for our final section or segment of the show where we're going to wrap it up, give you a few more tools, and hopefully a leg up on this charity idea. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Rocket-launched parachutes are making flights safer for pilots and passengers. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. In the mid-1970s, a young man named Boris Popov was hang gliding when things suddenly took a bad turn. Some 400 feet in the air, his glider broke apart and spun out of control as he plummeted toward a lake. As he fell, Popov realized that if he had only had some kind of parachute, he could have been saved. Luckily, Popov survived the crash. He went on to develop parachute systems that could soften the fall of entire airplanes. Ballistic Recovery Systems, or BRS, first installed the parachutes on hang gliders and ultralight aircraft. NASA helped mature the parachute material and deployment technology through contracts with BRS. Soon, the company had rocket-propelled systems that could support even larger and heavier general aviation aircraft. With more than 30,000 systems sold, some of the world's most popular small aircraft like the Cirrus SR-20 and SR-22, now feature ballistic recovery systems as standard equipment. As of today, more than 250 lives have been saved with this rocket-propelled parachute technology. 
For Innovation Now, I'm Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with the latest news and research in pivotal societal issues. There has got to be a way that we reduce our dependency upon Middle Eastern oil. BYU's Wheatley Forum presents the research of leading scholars and experts in current social issues and events. Learn, explore, and discuss the world around us with the Wheatley Forum, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. And uh, wrapping up this idea of charity, getting a little more charity in our life. And, uh, you know, doesn't always have to be about spending money. Sometimes it's about giving your heart. And as you give your heart, you find yourself. We're going to now go to one of our producers, Bryce Tobin, uh, who hit a thrift store recently. Hit, it sounds like he robbed it, but he didn't. He just went, he perused the store a little bit. He wanted to see... uh, a little bit more of the obvious products of charity. You would not be wrong to say that my four-man bachelor pad's decorative theme is Spartan, to say the least. But spend a few minutes perusing the decorations and knickknacks in a thrift store, and you realize, meh, could be worse. Don't get me wrong, I like to save money, promise. Thrift stores are fantastic places with a fantastic idea. It defies logic that a business can run on charity like this. But not all donations are created equal. If you're going to give... Give good. I decided to drive over to a thrift store and see what kind of gems I could find. There was the tie with John Madden's face on it for $3, and I'm not sure if that's a reasonable price. But I was floored to see an Ibanez X-Series six-string guitar for $80, which is quite a bit down from its $600-ish price tag. Then I saw a Fender Starcaster for $90, which was probably twice what it was worth. This guitar was followed by a clock shaped like a guitar with a big picture of a scene from I Love Lucy on the body of the guitar and a very, very tiny clock in the bottom right corner for $30. It's okay. I don't don't get it either. There was a $25 gas mask, which isn't a bad deal if it works, but its availability raises questions about the previous owner because people don't generally give these up while they're still alive. You could buy Jenna's second-place soccer trophy, which would be quite serendipitous for only $4 if your name is Jenna. Probably kind of odd if it's not, though. Same thing goes for someone else's wedding dress if it's your size and you're still in the 1980s. I looked for a price tag, but I got lost in all the ruffles and decided to abandon ship before things got any worse. And then I found an I'm with stupid shirt. Could we please do the human race a favor and forever retire these rags for the abhorrent things they are? Just seeing this on a hanger was too high a price. So what I really got to say is thrift stores are kind of like a bag of chips. You got to go through a lot of broken, burned, and misshapen choices before you find the one you're looking for. But they are there, I promise. So if you're going to give, like I said, give good. Who knows? You might make someone's day or some kid's story on the radio. Either way, it's fine with me. Oh, Bryce. Cutest little 16-year-old we got on staff. Um, Really good stuff. Sending him to the thrift store. And uh, I don't know. I kind of like the I'm with stupid shirt. I don't quite get his problem with that. Charity. So worst case scenario, send stuff to the thrift store. Best case scenario, we lose our heart uh, in trying to help other people. Now, uh, my grand, uh, my parents, my in-laws just got home. Actually, last night I went to their home 
they just returned from Samoa, where they did a medical mission, and and were he's a doctor, and they went and served and taught and did medical training on the island of Samoa. And while they were there, just trying to change lives, do what they can, giving, 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 uh, they came back and they had some really amazing stories. But more importantly, probably than their stories, was the spirit that they shared with my family, my kids, their grandkids, as they tell these stories about how he couldn't do basic medical procedures that he would do here in the United States on the people in Samoa because they simply didn't have the basic equipment to do what needed to be done. And how he watched a 14-year-old boy die because they just didn't have the tools. And I watched my kids, my 16-year-old, my 14-year-old, my 10-year-old, watch their dad, their grandpa, tell this touching story and realize that, you know what, because they went and served, because they found charity in their heart, they're now spreading it to my family. And then my kids have talked to me about how can we, how can that happen? How can people be dying in parts of the world simply because we don't have something that is just a simple necessity here in the United States? You know what's amazing about my in-laws' charity is that they're now causing us to have a conversation. And now it's on a radio show on Sirius XM. It's interesting. It really only takes one of us to start to notice the need. And that need creates the charity. And then it's the charity um, that is the act, I guess, the gift. Or is it also the spirit? Is it the spirit of charity that begets the act? Or is it the act of charity that begets the spirit? And I'm going to say both. My father-in-law, my mother-in-law, leaving at a difficult time in their life, went to Samoa, and while they were there, it was, a, it was an actual act of service to leave. They were leaving their family, they were leaving their health, some other things that were going on, and they left. And when they went, that spirit of charity created charitable acts. Those charitable acts converted my in-laws to even more charity, and they are now come home, and they're now explaining and sharing that with us, which I'm convinced will now motivate my children, my family, to be better and to serve more. To me, that is why we need to be more charitable. There, In the last few years, there has been a dip in the volunteer rate of charitable volunteers. Few and few people are do fewer and fewer are doing it. But the annual giving is going up 2.7%. So we're willing to give even if we're not willing to give our time. Can I just challenge you? If you feel in your heart a need to do more and be more, if you feel in your heart a need to give somebody a dollar, I'd follow the prompting. I wouldn't worry what everyone else says. I wouldn't worry about what it means or doesn't mean. I would just say, here's the dollar. When you're prompted, follow the promptings. I've learned in my life when I do, amazing things happen, especially I feel better about myself and I feel closer to my God. That is the show, my friends. Charity never faileth. Please keep listening to the Matt Townsend Show. We're here Monday through Friday, 5 o'clock Eastern time. Grab your friends. Uh, We also replay this at 7 o'clock Eastern time as well, so we'd love to... We'd love to have you and your friends join us anytime you can. And again, you can get a hold of us at mattchat at byu.edu. Thanks for listening, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM HD2 Provo. 
The following is a production of BYU Broadcasting in cooperation with the Brigham Young University Division of Continuing Education. In the tragically large lexicon of social disruptions, disasters, revolutions, colonizations, exilings, ethnic cleansings or relocations,